Guys like us that work on ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake and then they go into town and they blow their stake and the first thing you know they're pounding their tail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look ahead to. So says George in John Steinbeck's amazing novella of Mice and Men. Welcome to Literary Guys. I'm Dr. Gordon McAllen. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. I am honored to be able to have this conversation with you about this great book, yeah. which shockingly I had not read before this year. See, I thought we read it in high school. I did. We went to the same high school. But we had different teachers, I think, in the year. One of us was smarter time. than the other one. It, we won't say which. But I think that as part of our back-to-school month mm-hmm. here on Literary Guys, we're getting into books that we probably read when we were younger and probably, I mean, as we got into an episode ago, probably didn't appreciate much at all for what they actually were about. Right, right. And I'm really excited to get into this one and specifically to jump right into this idea that the quote that opened the episode with of sort of the eternal recurrence, if you will, if you want to borrow from Nietzsche, of the life of men Mm -hmm. and the mistakes which they are, for whatever reason, doomed to repeat. And as we touched on in our last episode, talking about the high school curricula, how could any high schooler understand that men have these cyclical struggles that they constantly face as they try to be providers and nurturers at the same time and try to achieve a dream while at the same time trying to live a life? I don't understand why this book is taught in high schools. I guess I'm glad it is, but Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we read this as adults because, man... Yeah, it just, it leaves you thinking. And you, you actually said that you've read it twice now this year. Yeah, I had no idea what I was missing here. Because we read other Steinbeck in high school. And that just didn't land for me to the degree that this did. That this friendship that I think we're going to be talking about here for many episodes between George and Lenny. And the comradeship maybe is a good way of thinking about it. That's something very impactful to me to read. And also to see this rogues gallery, to borrow a term I think you used recently, of men Mm -hmm. and how they are caught in this eternal recurrence. Mm -hmm. I do love that we have a novella here that is equal parts about friendship and about loneliness. It's really fascinating to me to see that push and pull. Every character in this story is deeply lonely. But then you've got Lenny and George that have this beautiful, if not super chaotic friendship that to me, I think will stand the test of time is probably one of the great examples of at least what male friendship has historically been. At the beginning of the book, we get this wonderful description of George and Lenny. Both were dressed in denim trousers and in denim coats with brass buttons. Both wore black, shapeless hats, and both carried tight blanket rolls slung over their shoulders. The first man was small and quick, dark of face, with restless eyes and sharp, strong features. Every part of him was defined. Small, strong hands, slender arms, a thin and bony nose. Behind him walked his opposite, a huge man, shapeless of face, with large, pale eyes, with wide, sloping shoulders. And he walked heavily dragging his feet a little, 
the way a bear drags his paws. His arms did not swing in his sides, but hung loosely. I mean, you can just imagine these mm-hmm. two guys just walking down the road. They're a day late for starting their job. The bus apparently dropped them off a few miles south yeah. of the ranch of where they were going to. I mean, to me, that is, it's a beautiful image. And we have these two guys, one of whom is much more erudite than the other, but neither of whom seem really equipped to be successful in life. Yeah, it's a common theme for Steinbeck, right, of just the cogs in the American system. This was a man who was born and raised in California during a time where the quote-unquote Okies were coming out during the Great Dust Bowl migration and saw all of these itinerant workers just living to sustain themselves, you know, just living paycheck to paycheck, often blowing that paycheck on booze or other forms of escapism and I think he was in a unique position as a young man growing up during this time to see the dream that America purported to hold for everyone California at that time you and I have been to LA recently it's not like that anymore but back in the day there were orange groves everywhere it was just this absolute paradise Mm -hmm. and to have this paradise be this lofty dream for so many people and then for that dream to immediately crush their spirits upon arrival I think really helps contextualize Steinbeck as a writer and really the Americana experience, sadly for so many people, both immigrants and natural born Americans alike. I think in discussing this book, we have to talk about the time period. Yeah. This is such a dark place for so many people. Like in many books were defined by the setting. We talked about the talented Mr. Ripley. It's about Italy. Mm -hmm. It's about the coast. It's about all these beautiful locales. In this book, it's not about the place, it's about the time. Mm -hmm. And it's about the Great Depression. Yeah, I mean, you've got people living in Hoovervilles, essentially these large tent cities. You have a completely bankrupt U.S. government. You have industry collapsing. You have homelessness one rampant. You have joblessness at an all-time high. It it bears no relation to 2022 right now. None at all. None at all. We need to really contextualize it in the the sense that it was written. But I I think that's one of my favorite parts about rereading this is it very much is of its time and place. It's not Mm -hmm. trying to be anything else, but it speaks to such universal truths that it's so relatable today. I'm glad you brought that up because this book is about authenticity. Yeah. It doesn't need a lot of words. It doesn't need a lot of context setting. Once you know where and when it is taking place, a lot fills itself in. And I think that that's really important to think about when we talk about George and Lenny because I think a lot of people have tried to read a lot into the relationship that exists between these two men. Sure. But I don't think that's what Steinbeck wants us to do at all. I think he wants us to accept what he is saying as the reality and the truth of the situation. Maybe there's a complex you know, situation beyond George knew the aunt, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. of yep. Lenny. But that's it. That's all that George really cared about. Mm-hmm. That was important to him. And now he's got this guy following him around. And the two of them, for lack of a better word, they kind of complete each other. They do, and do they complete each other out of this beautiful confluence of human nature, or do they complete each other out of necessity? Jumping ahead, there's this wonderful character who I think is often the reason this book gets banned, the character of Crooks, who Mm -hmm. is the the stable hand, who is an African-American gentleman, and there are some disparaging terms used that are period appropriate, but I think this man really gets his due because he's able to kind of contextualize both Lenny and George's relationship, and really the relationship of all men, where he, because 
because of his race, because of the time he lives in, is completely segmented from society. He's not invited to the gin and rummy poker games that are going on in the, the main house. Maybe he gets to play horseshoes during the daytime hours. But other than that, he's left alone to his own devices. And that loneliness that he describes is so crippling. And his need for any kind of companionship at the end of the day just someone to be there to like witness what he's witnessing and confirm what he's feeling and i think that's what lenny and george do have even if they're wildly different people even if they are ultimately going to drag each other down i think that is such a relatable element and i think something even in our modern society which we can joke about the recession that we're in right now it's nothing like the great depression was thank goodness but even during this modern time where you can have thousands of friends on social media i think the conversations that you and i are able to have here at the stardust lounge is so important to me as a man just to have another man affirming some of my thoughts some of my experiences witnessing some of my life alongside of me well i really appreciate that and i i will also say that like it's so seldom that as a man to actually have that kind of conversation yeah it's not something that we are encouraged to do in fact quite the opposite of having those sort of real conversations and so i think to look at a book like this is a touchstone to be able to kick off those conversations i think is great and i really I would hope that's what Steinbeck wanted us as men to do, to look at this group of individuals and to be able to see ourselves and to also to be able to see just sort of mankind in general. Yeah, to your point uh, of what Steinbeck kind of wanted out of this, I think he addressed that in a 1938 journal entry that he wrote. In every bit of honest writing in the world, there's a base theme. Try to understand men. If you can understand each other, you will be kind to each other. Knowing a man will never lead to hate and always lead to love. There are shorter means, many of them. There is writing promoting social change, writing punishing injustice, writing in celebration of heroism, but always that base theme, try to understand each other. I don't really know how to respond to that. Like, I think that's so much in my mind of like what's wrong right now in 2022 yep yep if i can get on my soapbox here for a moment you've had a couple glasses of wine so just be careful as you do and and we'll talk about the wine here in a second (laughs) um but i feel like this is so much of the disconnect that Mm -hmm. is existing in the world right now there are the people who want to know their brother and those who don't yep and i feel like as a member of a group that is not necessarily part of the majority uh, as a gay man, I'm a little more attuned to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying I'm special or anything like that. I'm just saying like a little more attuned to it. And I think that a lot of the debates that are happening right now about human rights, they stem from people not wanting to spend the time to get to know their fellow human. Yep. Sure. Because of not actually taking that time on a one-to-one level, seeing the struggle that another person is going through. And it may be so different from your own personal experience, and it may be rooted in things that seem incredibly foreign to you, like sexual identity or gender identity. And to be able to spend that time and to see why this is a caring individual a person who is living a different life experience than you are and to be able to see that struggle and to be able to say not just I condone that but 
I accept that person for who they are. I think it just changes all of the outlook that, that people have. And how is that getting missed these days? It really boggles my mind. The only thing I, I can say is that it's almost about geography. And I don't mean to have some sort of long speech about middle America or anything like that. I mean, Which is we love to do with satellites. Yeah, we do. I think it just has to do with proximity. Yeah. And living in, in a major city, getting to know people who are different than myself, it's been transformative. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Steinbeck was really onto something there with that quote that you read, that if you spend that time, there's no room for hate. Right. There's literally no room for hate. And maybe it's we have too many distractions in our in our lives these days because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got these men on this farm who come from all different backgrounds, black, white, differently abled, mm-hmm. probably gay, if you want to dive a little deeper into some of the characters. But every single one of them has their own strife, has their own hurt. But outside of Curly, they're all really willing and open to understanding one another and to embracing one another's dreams. And I, I think that is so missing in our society, maybe because we've got a thousand other things to contend with. It's not just, you know, wake up at 6 a.m., go bale your hay for 12 hours, come back, play some gin rummy, drink a little, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've missed all that in that chaos, but I completely agree with you. And it's one of the reasons why I love Steinbeck so much is that I think he is willing to give all men, and we use that term ubiquitously, men, women, characters, people, give them their due. And uh, it's not something we're willing to do, uh, uh, by and large, as a society, and why we see such divisions in our country right now. I think one of the things that we kind of need to talk about is the way in which Lenny associates with the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. I assume it's where the title of this book comes from. I haven't done any research into this, but Lenny has this early story here with the mouse. Yeah. And the way that he has this mouse that he found and he wants to care for it. He deeply cares for this thing. And what does he do? Mm-hmm. He kills it. Mm-hmm. He has no idea of his own strength. I mean, you can call this foreshadowing because it it is exactly foreshadowing of what's going to happen. But then we find out that the one thing that Lenny loves beyond everything else in the world is rabbits. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think this book should have been called Of Rabbits and Men. But that's another discussion for another podcast where we discuss alternate titles to classic literature. Mostly porn titles. Yes, exactly. But in this case, he's obsessed He clearly is obsessed with rabbits, and he loves them. He loves them so deeply that he kills them. He cannot control the level of love he has for these creatures. He wants to pet them and and care for them, and because he's so brutish, he destroys them. This is exactly what happens later in the novel. And, I mean, to me, this is just a straight-up metaphor for men. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no line between devotion and destruction. On a lighter note, one of the things that this novella made me realize is, speaking of rogues galleries, Bugs Bunny's rogues gallery includes an abominable snowman Mm -hmm. who featured in many of the Looney Tunes that you and I grew up watching. I don't know if this is going to ring a bell, but he continually called Bugs Bunny George, and he would always try to crush Bugs Bunny by hugging him and squeezing him and filling him with love. Do you remember this character? Vaguely, yes. Who knew... (laughs) 
that we were watching a very deep cut of Mice and Men reference in our Saturday morning cartoons. Well, since we're on that topic, like we've talked about some amazing satirical views of this novel in, yes. in pop culture. I mean, Saturday Night Live with James Franco is the one alternate ending to Of Mice and Men. Yes. We've talked about Family Guy. Yeah, they had a whole mini episode on Of Mice and Men that covers the plot pretty faithfully outside of a cabaret scene. I don't know. I, I feel like this book has sort of just kind of become part of the culture of America. Mm-hmm. And for a novel that, I don't know, maybe there is considered to be a film adaptation that is like the thing people remember. But I, I think most people think of the book. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a pretty big cultural achievement. It really is. I think to read Steinbeck is to understand America, both the potential beauty of America and also the underlying challenges of it. What challenge do you think is most highlighted by this book? The fatalism of the American dream. The fact that it is this promise that we all either come to this country with or are born inherently knowing and feeling and the way that the aloofness of that dream can twist and contort and poison us. And I think that harkens back to kind of where we started this episode in this eternal recurrence of how the male identity sort of subverts the American dream. Yep. That's the best sentence I'm going to put together this entire episode. <laughs> I mean, what a wonderful, you know, 30,000 words that we can mine for this much depth just in, you know, one short episode. I, I would be remiss as one of the co-founders of this podcast. We haven't done a good job of paying the bills. We just did Lolita and Confessions of a Mask, which we just felt might be inappropriate to have some commercialism associated with them. Mm-hmm. At this point, though, we, we really got to pay for this equipment that we're using, for this airtime that we're... We're, we're carving out. Um, mm-hmm. So That's not how podcasts work. Oh, it's just not. FYI. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, then what are we even worrying about? Um, the rental of all of this recording equipment or having to pay the dinner bill here? Ah, that's probably most pertinent. So, unfortunately, I couldn't tie uh, our sponsor into this novel at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, a sponsor that you probably heard on a thousand other podcasts already. But Squarespace? Uh, uh, Zillow. Okay. But they, they were kind enough to donate some money to us and, and, again, as you said, help pay for this wonderful wine we have, This uh, one of the oldest uh, wineries in California. So very appropriate for this Of Mice and Men from the author of Grapes of Wrath episode. So thank you, Crystal, for dusting that bottle off for us and presenting it to us. Uh, it, we will now it's pay from for- Behringer? Yeah, Behringer Brothers, yes. Mm-hmm. Barrel Finished. Bourbon Barrel Finished. Nice. Um, but in order to pay for that likely very expensive bottle, uh, we are going to now hear from our sponsor. Zillow.com. Sign up now for daily updates on the hottest properties in real estate in your area. Looking for a nice little farm and a couple of acres and a cow and some pigs? (laughs) And yes, rabbits too. Just a sweet old place with a big vegetable patch and a rabbit hutch and chickens. And when it rains in the winter, you can just say, hell with going to work. And you can build a fire in the stove and sit around and listen to the rain coming down on the roof. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, too bad. Fuck you. We've seen too many guys with land in their head, but they never get none under their hand. This is America, where you gotta suck it up and live the life instead of living the dream. Zillow.com. Wow, their marketing got super dark. <laughs> yeah, I think they're really bitter about the housing crisis, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's much more intense than I would have expected. 
you know, you, you got to keep it edgy for the youth these days. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to continue talking about this novel in our novella, excuse me, in our next episode. Um, Do you think we might actually touch on the plot? <laughs> Maybe. We've also got so many fascinating characters. We've got like Slim and Candy and Curly and Crooks. There's so many interesting angles to take. Is George gay? There's so many different places we can go with this. And I, I just cannot wait to uh, continue talking about this novel that I'm glad we've read as adults. Well, I can't wait to continue that conversation as well. We will next week. If you haven't already, please like the podcast on your favorite podcast app and download our episode next week where we get into the actual story here (laughs) of, of Mice and Men. This has been Literary Guys, signing off.